0: Okay, everyone. Welcome to Around the Court Squash Podcast. On today's show, we have an interview with the former world number two, Jenny Duncalf, who is now residing in Australia. More sad news in U.S. squash as G.W have cut their varsity squash program and we have invited Ushin logan a former gw alum to come on the show and have his say and what the program meant to him and all that good stuff but in the meantime it's a big day for our chris sackby who's getting married this weekend how we doing fellas
1: how we doing chris how you feeling man well at the time everyone's listening to this i'm married um feels good (laughs) (laughs) i hope feels. I think it feels good. Um, yeah, no, ready ready to rock. Got uh, Nick, mom, and uh, sister Lauren coming in today um, from Toronto, picking them up this afternoon, uh, just trying to – rough up my skin and get tough for listening to Nick's uh best man speech tomorrow um
0: you are gonna get absolutely
1: <laughs> roasted
0: yeah <laughs> just be grateful he's not
1: organizing that bachelor party for you That'd be- <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah that would uh that one would probably result in not being married um yeah. <laughs> yeah Miami it was supposed to be Miami got canceled so probably probably for the best um yeah, all good, man. All ready. Got the suit pressed, got the shoes buffed, haircut, you know. It's, it's kind of my contribution. Just got to just gotta look good and smile.
0: Well, you can definitely smile. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of, uh, I read a great book on the weekend, The Russian Affair. And it was about the two Russian whistleblowers, Vitaly and Yulia. Or Julia, they were having their first date. And Vitaly works for the Rosada, Russian anti-doping a- agency, and Ulia is a runner who's on drugs. <laughs> so first date is like, you know, this kind of green, naive guy. I'm, I'm going to save the world. I'm going to find all the drug cheats. And it turns out that he's dating someone who, or his first date, as he's looking across, you know, with, with love hearts in his eyes. She's like, well, I take drugs. <laughs> <In short. laughs> so I uh, hope I'm she assumes he knows as well,
2: right? I think the assumption amongst all the Russian athletes was that they Anti doping agency just knew they were on drugs and their job was to cover it up, but it turns out he didn't know. He
0: no, well yeah, that's the he was that green guy. He was that guy that's like, you know, I'm here to save the world type of thing and you know, he's suited and booted and even got a cape on his back. <laughs> There's always one of those people that naive R- Re- ruin it for all the drug cheats <laughs> exactly he's <laughs> like how am i gonna get rid of this guy
2: well it's, it's interesting you bring that up and just relating it back to squash i listened to a great podcast uh, again our big rival jerry gibson uh, <laughs> uh, keep going Jerry. doing some great work um, <laughs> he had a great interview with marwan that i listened to in the last few days uh, and marwan actually briefly talks about doping not quite a suspension but just uh an infraction that he had to deal with about a year ago or maybe two years ago now. Um, and yeah, it just got me thinking that um, I think squash in some ways probably needs to do more to be a little bit more transparent. Cause I went back and read some, some of the information that came out at the time and it's all very vague. Um, there's a statement by, by World Squash who conducted the investigation that just said WSF confirms that Marwan was investigated in relation to potential breach of the WSF anti-doping rules. That investigation was concluded with a determination that a charge will not be pursued against him, nor will a sanction be imposed on him. The matter is now closed. PSA also put out a follow-up statement saying similar things and just from following other sports, particularly uh, athletics and cycling, I realise that they're two sports that have had a pretty bad history of doping in the past and probably are doing more to show a bit more transparency. But I don't see why squash can't follow the same sort of uh, protocols in terms of like, if there is something like this that comes up, why not address it? Why not say exactly what happened? Was he tested? Was he, was it a whereabouts failure? Was it like, there's so many different potential scenarios that they could clarify and then just explain what the, what the process was, what evidence he presented to defend himself. Because ultimately his reputation gets tarnished now regardless, even though he's been cleared, people I think will still associate him with that and wonder what happened, whereas there would be a great opportunity to just put it to, to bed. If WSF have to admit fault, then I don't see why they can't do that and say, look, it was our mistake, it's not anything on him. I yeah. just personally like to see a lot more transparency in the whole process, and not a situation like he, like he, he said on the interview with Jerry, that he wasn't allowed to talk about it. And I don't think that's particularly fair on him or the sport in general. Yeah, it just he means did. that he
0: never gets the opportunity to sort of say, "Look, I didn't really do anything wrong, and this is what happened," and we kind of move on from it.
1: How how long did he have to take off that season? Like half a, half a season, basically. While, while this was all going on?
2: No, it was more than that. He missed almost an entire season. So this statement was published in March, end of March of 2019. I think he was out from about June of 2018. Because oh, wow. he pulled so, out of the World Tour Finals that were due to be held in Dubai. That's right, yeah. So there,
1: there, could have, be, there could be a chance that basically he had served his sentence in the waiting period. Right. Like he, he missed a season. It's almost a season suspension at that point. Um, Just thinking, you know, they could have said, you know, he's served his served his time. But yeah, yeah it, it does. It does kind of stink for both sides and for people following the sport that will just never know.
0: It probably stinks a little bit more from our one, just in the sense that they obviously they didn't, he wasn't uh, like, there was nothing to sort of say he was officially suspended like for doing anything wrong. It was like a suspension pending investigation to take nine, ten months to investigate and then come out, oh, well, that's actually, we found nothing wrong here. Let's move on. And yet for that whole nine months, Marwan has to deal with the stress of not competing, not earning any moolah. And also, I suppose, the wonder of when he can get back playing. And I'm sure there was a financial strain there as well, not just from not earning money, but also I'm sure he had to you know, get a defense team in, in there for to help him out.
2: Yeah, actually talks about his legal team and he, he actually used the same legal firm that had defended Maria Sharapova and her previous uh, doping violation and also Chris brim So again, pretty high level experts in terms of anti-doping violations. But as you say, Arthur, my first thought is if he's being cleared, give him the opportunity to state what happened because this whole suggestion that, oh, he can't talk about it, only harms his reputation in my book.
0: Agreed, yeah. That's tough.
1: There's been some updates from the uh, Goffey and the tour on a few more concrete things than he told us in terms of what's going to happen to get back on uh, the tournaments.
2: Yeah, the same podcast with Jerry Gibson. Um, again, really interesting listening to what I had to say. It's been sort of five or six weeks since we spoke to him on the show, and a lot has changed, obviously, with... Um, updates around the world on coronavirus. And I think when he spoke to us, he was hoping to get the tour back up and running by August, but obviously that's unlikely. But what they have said now is that they're going to start sanctioning uh, satellite-level events from the 27th of September. um, Sorry, 27th of August. And then they're going to start sanctioning Challenger events from the 10th of September. And they'll have ranking points available They've modified the ranking system a li- little bit, um, just a, a fairly minor change, I would say, but it's something that I don't think will make a huge difference to the players in terms of the ranking. Um, it's essentially designed designed to not penalise people that decide that they don't want to play in these events, either because they can't travel outside their country or they just don't feel safe. Um, they feel that like this system will better protect those players. But the the main headline is that they're hoping to get a number of sort of world tour events um up and running by sort of mid to late September. They've not announced dates as yet that I'm aware of, um, but they're hoping to run a pilot event in Manchester. Uh, and then they've also uh, listed the following events that they're hoping to run before the end of the year as full ranking events, including uh Manchester Open uh, British Open, World Tour Finals, Egyptian Open, Qatar Classic for the men, El Guna for men and women, Hong Kong Open, Blackball Open. So, yeah, I mean,
0: if oh, that goes oh, ahead... Oh, you know, TV, here we go, bro! <laughs> we could have a
2: real treat on our hands, Squash TV, over the next three or four months, or certainly the next five
0: or six months. I wonder, would they have any gambling involved? Like as uh, do they do they still do that? Like where they have B win and you can you know put a few dollars on so and so to win a match. So I'm just throwing I think, that out. I, there. I
1: think so, but I think right the the players are definitely not allowed to to bet on oh, yeah, you know yes. that. But uh, I've yeah I've heard I've heard of people betting on squash. Yeah,
2: I I know a few guys that have done it. A friend of mine, Lyle Patterson, once made a reasonable amount of money betting on some squash back in the day. <laughs> um, nice. Betting on uh, it was like a BSPA series that they were trialling that was being funded by.
0: I remember that I played in those. Yeah, they were like ridiculous. It was a two-day events and you'd play four matches, and the, so the slot the time slots were eight, nine, ten, and eleven. So eight-person draws, and so they always took the highest eight ranked players uh, for each one, and they turned they turned it into it was like a mini tour because then the best eight say they had. Ten events? Uh, that could not. That might not be correct, but it could be. I think it was
2: about six events because I I played one of them.
0: I played four. I but uh, it was amazing. It was great money as well, and couple that with your summer training, you know, not only are you getting like these video recordings of matches against quality players on a weekly basis, you are getting some nice sort of Johnny Cash in the sky Rocket, and it was it was great. That was that was a good summer.
2: Uh, they also did betting on full PSA events for a while, but again, I'm not sure if it's still available and what sort of geographical restriction. I, I know you can't really bet on sports in the US, certainly in most states. There are some exceptions I believe, but yeah. I'm not completely aware.
1: Trying to make some money, Arthur? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, yeah, I mean, I mean, Andrew tight. <laughs> oh, always trying to make money.
0: Always. Yeah, always hustling. <laughs> But yeah, geez, that'll be that's I hope that goes ahead. That'll be amazing.
2: Yeah, completely.
0: It'd be interesting Maybe. with the satellite events and the and the lower ranked uh players like outside of that sort of top forty bracket, how they're gonna cope. I mean, just the expense of travel is tougher, they're not making as much money and yeah.
1: And you probably can't travel across borders very easily. Um
2: They t- yeah. actually talk about that in the the sort of release that they put out saying a lot of the s- satellite and challenger events might be restricted to either domestic or what they've referred to as local. Yeah. So it might be different tours running in different parts of the world um, just to avoid international travel or to minimise the risk for people.
0: I think it's one thing, you know, getting a pass into a country to play like a US Open or a World Championship it's a whole different ball game when you're going to Romania for a 5k.
1: Hey, can I uh get a visa to play in the Around the Court Squash Challenger event? Uh If I win, I win $300 and uh and a trip and a trip to get a lobster roll in Rhode Island.
0: Ooh, yeah. <laughs> Chris, tomorrow, massive day. What do you got to say about the lovely the lovely wife to be?
1: Yeah, um excited. We got you know 10, 10 year, 10 year or so relationship. We met in 2009, um, at Cornell, Cornell squash girl. Um, so keeping it in the squash family and, you know, had to, had to podcast this weekend because Stevie, Stevie Richardson inspired me with his story. I mean, I'm just doing about one hundredth of, uh, of what he did. Might have to try and like find someone to, to play tomorrow or something uh maybe (laughs) maybe nick maybe i'll get my challenge match with nick Um, if i beat him though he'll just absolutely crush me in the speech so it's probably a bad idea excited for it all excited to take it all in and um you know next week be a married man might be a totally different podcaster That's why I'm not married yet. I'm too worried about what it will do to my podcasting
0: career. It's brilliant. I mean, I don't know what it's like to podcast before I was married. There you go. So, Chris, actually, you're the guinea pig. Yeah. You're the only one we can look at before and after.
1: Sample size of one.
2: (laughs) I mean, there's been a few squash players that have actually been quite successful after they've got married. So,
0: maybe
2: you'll go the other way, Chris. Maybe you're... Maybe you're being restrained, like your podcasting is just going to go through the roof once you get married and you're free, or free to express yourself and you don't need to worry about upsetting her. And
1: who knows? Maybe you're holding back right now. Wake up on Saturday, be a scratch golfer. I mean, all this sounds <laughs> great to me. <laughs> Good times, man. Huh? Good times.
0: Okay, earlier Stuart caught up with the former world number two and English international Jenny Duncalf. Some of Jenny's achievements include winning the world championships with the English team in 2006, making the final of the World Open in 2011, and multiple British national championships as well as PSA World Tour titles. She's currently residing and coaching in Australia and is also the MC for the PSA World Tour. You obviously retired a year
2: ago at the British Open. So what what's your reflections been on that? Are you pleased with when you stepped away from the game and what have you been up to since?
3: Yeah, I was very pleased actually in terms of the event I retired at and who I played. I was a bit worried because my form had been slightly dodgy to say the least. Uh, So it was kind of nice to play on a glass court. I uh, wasn't that confident of the first round. I was playing Roanne Alarabi. Well, I think she, she was world junior champion at the time, and, and I'd lost her a couple of times before. But they're all on back courts, and I like to think I was better better on the glass court. But I never got to play on glass court so much once my ranking dropped. So I snuck a win against her, which meant I could play Renem. So it's a lovely way to finish, as you say, against someone like Renem, and in in my home country in England. And yeah, it was. It's been good, actually. I've, I'm really enjoying retirement. I didn't realise you were slightly apprehensive of how you might feel, or I was anyway. And yeah, since retiring, it was. It wasn't like I'd been stressed or felt stressed throughout my career or the back end of my career. But just you don't know. There's like your shoulders kind of drop and you can relax a bit, and you don't have to train every day, which is nice. And I was struggling with my hip and I wasn't particularly, in- I hadn't really been enjoying training, to be honest, for quite for quite a long period of time. I was more hoping to get through sessions at the club without feeling something or I've I've never even since I was a kid enjoyed the whole process of being prepared to go on a squash court. I loved playing. All I wanted to do was play, play, play. And obviously, as you get older, you can't just play, play, play. You've got to do the prehab, the rehab, which I always found slightly boring, which is a terrible thing today, to because, because it isn't is it? Huh? huh?
2: That's because it is slightly boring.
3: <laughs> it is, it's boring. And I just wanted to, yeah, go on and I think discipline's never been my strongest strongest point. Um so yeah, I found it hard to enjoy my squash as much as I used to. So yeah, I was happy when I, when I retired and it's been a great, been great year. I'm trying different things um, in terms of sports. T- took up a bit of tennis during coronavirus lockdown time. Well, yeah, lockdown, you were actually allowed to play tennis here. And I'm playing football three times a week, which is quite a lot. Uh, so yeah, loving trying things that I wasn't able to do for a good sort of 27 years. Yeah, since I last played football, anyway. And yeah, and I'm still I'm still feel like I'm part of the game, so I'm not missing squash at all. Given that I'm emceeing and presenting or have been at quite a few of the events, and I'm coaching a lot, well, a fair bit. uh, So I'm still hitting balls most days, and uh, and playing a bit. I played a bit of doubles a while ago, and yeah, so I'm not massively missing the training every single day and and the playing yet so it's all good
2: so you started working with squash australia i think in was it january or maybe a little bit earlier
3: yeah um, slightly earlier went to an event in september but mainly from january yeah yeah
2: and uh, i think your what's your exact title was it assistant yes. national coach or performance coach
3: performance pathway coach so kind of yeah. like national junior coach
2: yeah. So, what's that experience been like? And I know Stuart Boswell is now in the sort of head coach role, working with the senior players or the Australian players yeah. that are transitioning into the senior game.
3: Stuart's uh, Stuart's here, yeah, national coach, which is great, and it's also great for me because his wife Vicky Botwright <laughs> is here as well, and she's one of my good friends. And Stuart and I have got a good good relationship. Um, so yeah, I'm thrilled to have him as national coach, and I'm. I mean, it's been for both of us. It's been pretty short-lived so far. He started in January, and and we did a high-performance junior squad together, which was great on the Gold Coast just to get to know the kids a bit better. Because you know, we don't obviously he's been in Qatar for so many years. I I've been here, but not involved in the national setup too much. And geographically, obviously, Australia is such a big country. It, it's hard to to get to get the kids together that much so it's fantastic to have them together get to know them a bit but then of course corona hit so I was sort of my role was paused during during that period and it's just literally starting again now Um, so I'm really keen to get to get involved and it is a shame that the world juniors that was due this month was cancelled we had the trans tasman team which I was going to take take them look after them, play in New Zealand. Uh, so all of those, I feel sorry for the kids that that's all been put on the back burner or, or cancelled. But we've got a lot of events coming up in December that, and all the courts are reopened now. So we're, we're looking as well to, because one of the problems, as I mentioned, geographically, it's so it's not like England or wherever, where we're seeing the same people every, every other weekend pretty much. And good players are together, bringing each other on competitively against each other. Um, we, we're looking to sort of get around the actual states a bit more, myself and Stuart so hopefully we can our aim is basically to, to keep up, to build relationships and not just with the kids but their parents, their individual coaches in their own states so when, when we invite them to a national squad or we see them at the national junior championships it's, it's come from a background or a basis of understanding as, as a whole as a whole, kind of um, little team, and they understand our kind of ethos, and and we get to know what they're doing on a day to day basis back home, uh, and hopefully, yeah, just open communication lines a bit a bit more up between the states and the national uh, national association, squash Australia, and to hope hopefully get some better Aussie players because they're a bit bit thin on the ground at the, at the moment at the professional end, given. A uh, couple of retirements, and the shall I say, uh, slightly older female representatives at the moment, yeah, even I mean, though they are still good,
2: she's still going strong at least. But yeah, might not last for too long,
3: yeah. yeah. <laughs> we'll see.
2: So, do you feel like there is a lot of potential there that Australia can come back strongly in the next sort of five years?
3: I think, I think five years is. Quite, I think it's going to take longer. If I'm brutally honest, it's it's five years is still quite a short timeline. But there's definitely, as I said, we've not myself and Stuart haven't been doing it for that long, so we've not seen too many of the kids. Uh, but there's definitely potential out there. It's just trying to create an environment that they can tap into more often than they have done it in the past, uh, and also make them realize that it is a possibility to to become a professional squash player and to get more kids playing i think that's a, that's a big problem over here there's not that many kids playing uh whether that's you know due to climate or op- opportunities of other sports um outdoor sports and stuff but we need to get more kids playing and then but and then yeah there is potential though there's definitely some good kids kids out there and it's exciting as well to to try and sort of in the role that I am at the moment it's trying to kind of not be negative about the state of of Australia squash at the moment but you know try and inspire them a little bit and tell them that it is that you know it is a an option to to become a really good player I mean a lot of the kids don't even watch don't even know what like squash tv is or or things like that and I've, I've learned since I've picked up tennis um during this COVID time and I've done a couple of ladies mornings and, and the people are like when you tell them you play squash or you coach squash like oh is squash still around in, in Australia <laughs> it's, it's so frustrating yeah. and I'm thinking yeah yeah it is but it's interesting to actually because obviously in squash we all get in our own little bubble and then I've heard that comment a few times in the past few months and even when I'm a little kid I coach we went to the park a few times and you're hitting on a wall and so many people stopped and were like, oh, is squash still, still going? And I'm thinking, yes, it is. <laughs> so there's a lot of work that needs to be done in terms of even marketing and yeah, participation at grassroots level. But you want, we can get there.
2: You wonder what these people think happened to it. Like it just suddenly people stopped playing it one day and like, <laughs> right, we're gonna cancel I this know. sport from now on. Um, yeah,
3: but- it's amazing.
2: At least in Australia, they, they did at one point know where it was, whereas in the US, we're sort of struggling to get the average person in the street to know where it is in the first place, so
3: yeah, that's you're true. a bit ahead of us yeah. in
2: that front. And but
3: I, you've got loads of kids in the US playing.
2: Yeah, I mean, I work in, the- in College squash, and College squash is really driving it through junior participation, mm. and in the, the entry numbers in junior tournaments are off the charts. The US Junior Open had over a 1,000 entries, I think, last year, so it's like 128 yeah. draws in most of the events which is crazy um but just going back to your own career you've obviously had a year to to sort of maybe reflect on it a little bit is, how do you look back on it and are you pleased with what you got out of it and what you managed to achieve or have you got any regrets or matches you would like to go back and just let me play that one <laughs> match one more time
3: I'm thinking I maybe should have um, almost done a rename and retired at world number two and not, not dragged myself around for another few years. <laughs> um, no, I, yeah, I'm happy with my, with my career. They obviously, I don't have any regrets at all because I know I tried my best a hundred percent of the time and that, that's all you can do. I gave everything I could. I worked, I worked hard. Um, so I've, did as best as I could and that's so I'm I'm quite happy with that. I'd have loved to of course win a British Open or a World Open or a Commonwealth Games gold medal um but you know I made all those finals and lost to Nicole David every time so I was
2: gonna say I think you've got you have one regret is maybe that you were born in the same
3: year as yeah, Nicole I yeah I know I know she's a bugger isn't she yeah. <laughs> no I'm I'm I mean I've asked been asked it a million times about Nicole but it's it's kind of a bit of a privilege at the same time to have been in in the exact same era as one of the best if not the best that's it's been so yeah I've absolutely loved my career and if I'd have you know been told as a 10 year old once I wasn't allowed to play football anymore that you could you know spend your life as a job it never felt like a job until the last few years maybe um, traveling the world making some of the best friends you've made um, playing a sport just playing sport like I've just always loved sport and I love squash so much and the life that it's given me the the people that you meet the places you travel stuff that i wouldn't have i i don't think i would have had the opportunity to do from a young age as well um squash has given me that and i've absolutely loved my loved my career and it's yeah it goes by so quickly it's a shame it's a shame it's over you wish just wish i was 21 again and doing it all again but um yeah it's yeah i'm happy i'm happy to with my career i think <laughs>
2: Any highlights that stand out when you look back? Any memories that you really cherish?
3: Again, just I always say playing for England, I love the team aspect. Uh, just being with your mates during the day and playing as, as a team, representing your country. Uh, I always found that just really exciting and really good fun. Winning You know, World Team Championships together and European Team Championships together was always my favorite thing to do. And individually, winning the Qatar Classic, which took me to two in the world, was a big thing. Um, That was the year you beat
2: Nicole, right?
3: Yeah, beat her the two (laughs) two times I beat her was that year. So that was, yeah, that was a big deal. The first time I beat her was a big deal for me personally. And I beat her three loves. So she must have had, she must have been playing on one leg or something. <laughs> but yeah, that was a big, big deal for me after so many years of trying. Because you don't, uh, that would have been a regret. If I'd have ended my career with a like 30 nil head to head as opposed to a 32 head to head, I'd have, that would have been a tough one. Um, but yeah. Is there anything you
2: felt at the time where you just thought you would like? Was it something tactical, or just things came together on those two occasions?
3: I Remember the first the first time I beat a three love, I just had a blinder. It was at Carol Weimler in in Brooklyn, where I always tended to play well for some reason, and I think I played pretty attacking stuff, and everything just came off. And um, I couldn't. I remember the first first game or second, a two love up, and I was I think Al was speaking to you in between games and we were kind of just laughing. I was like, When's this? I'm just not missing anything. It's going to stop surely at some stage. And it just didn't. So, so that was probably just one of the best best I've ever played in terms of not hitting the tin. With Nicole, you literally had to hit winners on a 19-inch tin. She could get everything back and it just led you to go in lower and lower, clipping the top of the tin. Or you had to hit a perfect shot or you had to play a length game with her but you're never going to beat her on fitness so it was it was so difficult to figure out how to beat her you had to hit winners a lot of the time um, which isn't easy as we all know so that was that was what happened that day but not not on plenty of other occasions.
2: <laughs> yeah certainly. Um, so what are your plans going forward are you going to stay involved with some of the MC work that you're doing with PSA and travelling a little bit or are you going to focus a bit more on the role with Squash Australia?
3: Um, Hopefully I am. It all depends on the international travel. If you ever get tournaments again. (laughs) Yeah, if I ever get to leave Australia again and there's a professional tour, I'm sure everyone at PSA headquarters will be working hard on it, but it's not going to be easy. I enjoy my MCing and I hope to continue doing that. Uh, It's worked well at the moment with the Squash Australia stuff because I'm part-time with Squash Australia given my PSA role as well. So, Or or not my PSA role, but emceeing at PSA events, which I I like. And I do private coaching. So I've never... Yeah, maybe I've got commitment issues. (laughs) I like doing a bit of everything at the moment. Um, So... But I'm really excited about the Squash Australia stuff now because we've got some tournaments in December and I'm in the country and hopefully we can work on building relationships with the kids and, and getting, them, getting them improving.
2: Yeah, I just want to say thanks for joining us on the show this week, Jenny. It's been great to catch up and hear what you've been up to. And-
0: nice one. Awesome stuff there. Okay, more bad news for College Squash here over in the US when GW just announced that they would be cutting squash from the varsity programme. Upon hearing this news, I caught up with Ushin Logan, a former GW squash player who played number two and sometimes one for the team and was also a captain and part of the team that won the whole cup in 2018. Ushin talks about the programme, what it meant to him, the experiences and friendships that he made whilst he was part of the team at GW Squash and also how his experience at GW Squash helped him grow as both a person and a squash player. A great bloke, a great team player. He is also a little bit of a fashion icon and can be seen all around Dublin wearing trousers that are a little bit too short for him with squeaky clean, fresh white socks, complemented with a lovely pair of shiny shoes. Okay, Oisin Logan, everyone. Uh, okay, next guest on Around the Course Squash Squash podcast yeah. <laughs> uh, Oshin Logan he had a uh, you know, pretty stellar junior career which was topped by the most successful junior Irish team to ever compete at a World Junior Championships in 2014 where he and his compadres finished number 7 his compadres of David Ryan Mikael Craig Mikhail Kalevsky, all went to the US to, for College Squash Oshin is also a former GW alum number 1 Oshin, at one point, or for all four years? Um, a couple of games,
4: predominantly number two across the years, with, with different number ones ahead of me.
0: Well, there you go. Well, thanks for coming on, Oshin. How you doing, man?
4: Yeah, brilliant. Thanks very much for having me on. I've uh, I've listened to pretty much all, all the podcast before this, and special shout out to Stevie. Uh, I thought his his, t- his two interviews were brilliant, as as always.
0: Oh, um, what so. a what a legend!
4: Oh, incredible. I've had the, the honour of rooming with them twice now for, for two separate Irish <laughs> teams, so it's, uh, I, know, I know I'm inside
0: out now at this stage. Let's just leave it at that. We don't, we, <laughs> yeah. we don't need to know <laughs> yeah. any more details. Yeah, <laughs> but
4: let people, let people infer that how they want. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I know Stevie well. A very, very long time as well. What a gay, what <laughs> a gay. Um, so tell us, Ushin, first of all, you know, one of the main reasons we wanted to bring you on the show was to talk about your experience at GW as a squash player and what the program meant to you and, and how it helped you, you know, what it did for you as, as a person as well as a squash player.
4: Yeah, definitely. Um, so I would have moved over in about uh, 2014. So I was the class 2014 and graduated in 2018. In, term, in terms of what it did for me, I think it it's, it was 100% the, the best experience of my life and I I don't think, unfortunately, it'll be topped by anything I do from here on out. But it was, uh, yeah, it was, an, it was an absolutely incredible four years, you know, getting the the chance to play with a team, but also it, it sort of becomes your family um, and it sort of squashes a really individual sport. So you don't, you might get that a couple of times a year if you're lucky enough to make the national team, but to have that on a, a sort of day to day basis and, you know, your training. Playing practice matches, which uh, sometimes don't uh, always end up too friendly, but you know, <laughs> you're going out for food, you're going out for lunch, you're going out for dinner, you're going uh, going to trips across across America with these people. It's you know the bond is it really be, does become quite special. And the people who I I would have played with in my four years over there, I I still stay in touch with the majority of them, even though I don't I don't live in the same country as as any of them anymore. Yeah. Um, but you know, some of them are. would still be, still be some of my best friends. And um, in terms of you know the squash program itself, and you know the success that, that that it's had over the last few years, I think it's. I think it's pretty amazing. Um, before I came there, it was. I think they came twentieth, and you know, in the four years that I was there, my final year, we end up coming. We end up coming ninth. So that's,
0: that's right. You won hard. the. Is is that the whole cup?
4: Yeah, the home cup. Yeah, so he won the won the B division, beating Yale for the first time ever in my in my final match that we were there. So it was, you know, it was an unbelievable way to go out. And I think it just showed the the trage- trajectory that we we had been on on the on those four years that I was there, but also the years preceding that as well. I think it was, you know, since Wendy took over in in oh seven for the men and twenty ten for the for the women, she just she just brought. That program forward to no ends, really, and and then that was continued from uh, from Anderson Good. He took over uh, as head coach in 2019. He's he's done an unbelievable job himself. Uh, he, you know, as well as being the assistant coach for some of the some of the great successes we had when I was there, and then also when I left the the last two years, he also set up a Mid Atlantic Squash Um Conference for the schools that didn't, you know, weren't competing either in the Ivy or in the, the Liberty League. So, you know, your GWs, your Drexels, your EVAs, they had they had postseason competition play apart from nationals. So, yeah, yeah. I'm not sure if that answers the question, but it was, uh, yeah, it was a, it was a, an absolutely incredible four years, and um, just it really really devastated to hear the news uh, the other day.
0: And did you have any inclination? Was there any hint that towards the end of your time at GW that the school may make the decision to cut the programme?
4: No, not at all. I think, you know, we've actually recruited more in the last, I want to say in the last four years, far more internationals anyway. And with internationals generally comes um, some, some level of financing. Um, yeah. A lot of the Americans that would have played on the GW team wouldn't have been on money but the majority of the internationals who would have went over would have been on some sort of funding so you know having half the team international when I was there and probably even more so now led me to believe led me to believe anyway that the program was growing rather than thinking yeah. about cutting back and um, I got in touch with Anderson during the week he was, he was still a really really good friend of mine and you know my heart goes out to him at the moment but he he was saying that it's it was completely out of the blue for him as well, and then also you know for the players themselves, it's it's, it's devastating.
0: Obviously, it was it was out of the blue. How, how did he how did he take it? How did he find out?
4: Yeah, so he he had said that the athletic department got in touch with him in May, not with him specifically, but all the coaches saying that there might be some sort of you know budget cuts. What that looked like at the time, they had no idea. They we're given no inclination as to, you know, what programs might be impacted or whether it's just a reduction in budget rather than, you know, a whole team or two teams in our case getting cut. Um, but he was he was told to join a video call with the athletic director from GW on the 31st of July. And that was that. He was told, you know, this is the decision, the school is being made. Um, can you please go sort of, you know, cons- console the team members on your team. So really Oof. really, really sudden news. And it was it was the same day I think that we all found out. Um I know you texted me on that day, um, sort of asking me, had I known before I had just found out and apparently that was when the coach and the players found out themselves as well. So yeah, in- incredibly sudden news.
0: Brutal. And so Anderson then had to connect with all the players, I assume he would have done that at the same time and just to
4: yeah so the yeah the players were were told by the athletic director as well on a separate call, but yeah Anderson then sort of had touch point calls with 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 both the teams um I guess I was was sort of in touch with with a few of them during the week and and Anderson as well right. I guess the sort of initial reaction would really be confusion, um I think it's too soon to really you know express anything other than. You know what am I gonna do next? Um, it completely depends for them on on what year they're in. You know, if their major is offered at a different school, uh, how important squash is to them. You know, if they're considering transferring, so uh, there's a lot of factors that go into that go into a potential transfer or or a decision to stick it out. Yeah. The one thing, one good thing, is that any any player who was on financial aid had been told that they can keep their financial aid for the remainder of their time at GW if they, if they choose to stay there. So there is a silver lining for current players, but I guess, you know, for the incoming recruits and their commits for fall 2021, with, of which I'm told there, there was seven or eight and some, some really top level players, they now have to make a decision on, okay, do I, do I want to go to GW and not play squash or am I really serious about squash and, do I have to transfer somewhere else? And if so, you know, where best seats for me?
0: And that's a stressful thing in itself. Like once you've come on the other side of figuring out a school or looking for a place in a team and the coach then, okay, I want, I want you. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, you, you get your spot. You're like, that's relief. It's like, I don't, I don't need to think about this. And now all of a sudden these, like you say, these, these recruits for the fall of 21 have to go through that again. Especially yeah, exactly. if squash is is on their.
4: Yeah, 100%. And from, from what it sounds like, it sounds like some of the players were, were really top level recruits. So presumably they will want to pursue playing college squash elsewhere. But I think programs are filling those spots earlier and earlier. Um, and yeah. I think it's just the demand, especially from more and more internationals wanting to go over. Yeah. And um, those spots for 2021, for the majority of programs, I would have thought are already filled. So. They might need to make quite a difficult decision on do they want to take a gap year and then go through that recruiting process again next year. Yeah, and, you know, in the current state that we're in, it's a it's a really really difficult decision to make, and it's it's one I I really you know don't envy. them.
0: Yeah. No. Me neither. It's it's hard. It's funny, and even just listening to you talk about earlier on your experience at GW, of course, all those players are going to want to play squash because it's or whatever sport anyone decides because you're. You're, it's your family, it's your traveling length and breadth, you're experiencing so many highs and lows. I'm sure there's a couple of cheeky beers thrown in there from time <laughs> <Yeah>. to time. <laughs> only after <laughs> Just, a win, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, I'm sure, yeah. Uh, and only if you're 21 and it's Bud Light only. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, like, why would you want to miss out on that? Like, if you have the opportunity to do it. So I guess it's, yeah, it's hard. It's tough. Yeah,
4: and I think what, what, another thing I'd sort of like to add is the amount of international players GW has is probably more than I'm not going to say any other program, but it'd be right up there. You know, it's fifty at least fifty percent of the team for the last number of years since I've been there. Anyway, yeah. um, you know, we had kids from New Zealand, Colombia, Egypt, Ireland, Jamaica, Cayman Islands—literally across the globe—and you know, you're Amazing. coming together, and you have you happen to become best friends with people. Don't even really speak the same language uh, as yeah, <laughs> you when you first meet them. So it's it's mad, but it's uh, uh, it's it's yeah, it's just it's just devastating, really. When I when I think of you know the experiences that I had, and then the experiences that some kids are going to miss out on because of this decision as well. Yeah, um, yeah, it's just it's it's really it's really tough
0: to hear. Yeah, brutal. Well, hopefully, um, I I saw the petition on Facebook.
4: Yeah, yeah. I mean, we we took a. I think we took a leaf out of uh, the brown squash team's page and and put up a petition signed by all the alum. Um, I think the goal of it is more to raise awareness than, you know, trying to get any sort of decision reversed. Obviously, that'd be the ultimate goal, but how likely that is 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 sort of up in the air, I'd say. But yeah, yeah. it's good just to raise awareness, get people talking about their experiences, and then you know maybe a couple of years down the line when. Maybe the financial impact of COVID is sort of out the water. Then maybe the team can look to be reinstated. I'm I'm not sure what the you know the current state of the finances is with with the school and with the athletic department.
0: Yeah. Well, hopefully, if the right people get to hear of how positive their experience was representing GW and what it how it shaped them as as people and the friendships and the bonds that they made and the experiences that they had. Uh, hopefully, uh, yeah, like you say, post COVID something could be done and maybe it could be reinstated because it's it's a big loss.
4: Yeah, no, 100%. And, you know, with the, you know, it was such a massive shock to me when I heard about the the Brown squash team and then I heard a couple of weeks later the Stanford squash team and now, you know, something that hits a lot closer to home to me, the GW squash team's now gone. And, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a real sort of disappointment because college squash, when I was there, had just seemed to be growing at an incredible rate, you know, Teams like UVA were were becoming varsity and becoming you know, we had more teams challenging the, you know, traditional maybe top five or top six skills. Yeah. And that's what you need to grow to grow the sport and to grow grow the sort to grow the product. So to hear, you know, programs getting cut back, it's it's disappointing and it also makes you question, you know, is there others to follow? And, you know, hopefully not, you know, I really hope there isn't. Yeah. But um, yeah, it, it it does make you worry about the, the future of college squash if, if something isn't done.
0: Yeah, it's worrying all right. And the college squash is an integral part to the whole ecosystem over here where most of the juniors are aspiring to get recruited or to play college squash one day.
4: Well, I think I think it could exactly as you say that. A lot of junior squash is, I mean, rightly or wrongly in the States, but a lot of it is driven towards towards college squash. You know, if you go through the junior cycle and then, you know, you're hoping to play college squash then from there on. So, yeah, you, you hope these type of impacts won't be won't be felt lower down the
0: food chain. All that yeah. remains to be seen. Well, certainly with three schools cutting their varsity squash programmes, that's definitely going to send, it's definitely going to have an impact. And I think if more schools and more colleges follow suit, then the impact could be a lot more severe. It could it could be very severe. I mean, college squash and college sport is just amazing. Yeah. Um, and listening to you talk about your experiences and how cool and amazing it was, and all the highs and the lows that you shared with your teammates, traveling length and bre- breadth of the country and and what have you. I've seen it as a coach. I did a stint with Brown, and just the camaraderie and the crack that is that has had is it's just amazing, really. Um, it almost makes me want to roll back the clock and uh, yeah, yeah, you know, go down that route. I remember, I
4: remember a few times you came up to DC because you were you were coaching a couple of kids. Um, That's right, yeah. In the junior yeah. squash in my, I think it was my first year or two. And I remember you always used to sort of, you were so inquisitive as to like what level of access I had to physios and, you know, what what sort of resources can you pull on as a as a college athlete? And I just remember, you know, a hint of jealousy in that voice of, oh man, I wish I wish you could have had that one. I was playing. <laughs> yeah.
0: It would have been nice. Uh, there might have been a little bit of jealousy, but it was also, I can definitely... Uh, Say I was also really happy for you in that sense, and knowing that all the other lads from Ireland that yeah, were coming over and getting, you know, to have those resources as a young, you know, eighteen-year-old, you're obviously, you know, reaping it now. You're, you know, you come home, you're currently three in Ireland, or definitely top four, maybe even two. Just got your first cap for Ireland at, in 2019 at the European Championships and then played at the biggest stage at the World Championships in December. It was almost like a bit of a homecoming for you, wasn't it? In <laughs> Washington, D.C., the posters and banners all over the place like, he's back, he's back, oh, she uh, it! <laughs> yeah, I
4: it. Yeah, it was a massive goal for me to make that team. Um, they announced it, I think they, they must have announced it about a year and a half before the tournament actually happened, because I remember thinking, oh my God, that would be an unbelievable way to come back to D.C. Now, being back before, but, you know, Coming back in a squash playing capacity, um, yeah, managed managed to scrape onto that team, and it was. Uh, uh, no, you, hang, you on,
0: hang on, hang uh, on. Just for the record, you, you did not scrape onto that team. You were definitely you no. Know, you were comfortably in, on that team, and a, a very, very <laughs> good asset. Uh, uh, reg- or,
4: yeah, regardless how I got into the team, anyway, it was. Who did uh, you pay? Oh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Dave New. You can you can contact him. Um, oh, man, huh? No. Um yeah, it was an it was an absolutely unbelievable week. Um I'm sure you can attest to that as well. You know, oh, yeah. great group of guys and you know, pulling pulling on that green jersey, it it really does, you know, it means a lot and it can sort of you know, it doesn't really feel like a normal squash match because even though you might only have, you know, a couple, you know, three or four lads behind you on the stadium, you know, so many of my friends, a lot of my family back home are watching on the stream. So it just has that out of added sense of pressure and you know added sense of pride really as well so it was uh that was a really really special moment
0: yeah absolutely and you you kind of get a sense as well that all the youngsters are following the results at the old yeah. uh, all the members of, at your club all the members of all the clubs everyone who's on like the domestic irish tour basically anyone involved in irish squash would have been following results and catching the stream here and there and you feel like you're representing squash in ireland as well as your country and it's you're right. Yeah. It's, it's definitely amazing. It's a, it is inspiring. I,
4: yeah, I think, you know, especially coming from, for me, having having such a strong sense of the team squash for four years and then coming back to Ireland then from that, um, I moved back pretty much straight away after graduating because I, I took up a job in September of 2018 when I graduated. So yeah. I didn't really have any real sense of team squash. It was all very individual up until I played for Ireland, got my first caps in, in Europeans in 2019. And that was, I remember just feeling, you know, oh, this is what it felt like for, for four years. It was, it was brilliant, you know, just even, you know, having the crack and, you know, just, just gen, general, just general, you know, t- team vibes. It was, it's a lot different from just going down, training by yourself, having a really individualistic mindset. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, no, it's, uh, it's, it's brilliant being a part
0: of the team so tell me this you've got a seriously pre covid and in in a normal world or whatever that is you have a pretty strict and disciplined uh, schedule from week to week give us an insight into what that is and to and to what's that like and how you can kind of continue how you were continuing to do that
4: yeah yeah um i kind of i kind of pride myself on on a bit of structure to be honest i actually i need it I can, i'm not really one to to sort of be able to sit down, even on a weekend, I really struggle to sit down or watch TV unless it's United on the box or Ireland playing. So, I, I, yeah, you've had yeah, a tough few years, man. Yeah, I know. Yeah, for my sins. Um No, but yeah, I I work as a, a financial consultant for EY here in Dublin. Um, so that's it's sort of about eight thirty to six uh, Monday to Friday. But what that means is I need to fit my Sort of, I try to get two sessions a day in, so I'll get up early and either go up to the gym or try to go how, for a run or whatever it might be. Uh, so I work in town and I live in the suburbs, so it does take me about 40 minutes to commute in, so i generally get up at about five during the week. Uh, this is pre-COVID now. Luckily, yeah. COVID has helped my sleep and my training <laughs> schedule, so um, I'm about the only person that's benefiting from the thing. But yeah, so I'll get up at about five and then uh do do what I need to do. Usually some sort of gym work or, or running and then I try to hit them every day in the evening. We have a we have a really good pool of players where, where I train um in a, a club called Sutton that's that's led by Alan Ryan, who's been there for gone. Since how long. Was a pup.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's,
0: he's, <laughs> he's as ancient as, as the walls in those squash courts are.
4: I'd say I'd say a good a good forty years now anyway. Um Father of David Ryan, anyway, if, if anyone, anyone knows who, who that man is. Or yeah, He's, absolutely legend of the game. He is, himself. yeah.
0: To be fair, like Owen, like you say, just I think it's just worth mentioning. Yeah. He has put everything into that club and, and loves the students that he coaches. And, you know, it's, think, it's yeah. no surprise that the players like yourself, like his son David, now you see Connor and Sam. And young lads behind him, your brother Luke is another quality player that is a product of that of of that coaching structure and that and that club. It's it's amazing what he's done.
4: Yeah. And I think I think that the most impressive thing to me is that he still has that drive. I mean, it 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 was so evident when, when we were growing up, and you know, I would have, I'm pretty much the exact same age as as Dave. So we would have had great competition and great training growing up through the ranks. And I'll give a shout out to Killian Dunn there as well. He's he was our age, who went to college in the States with us as well. Um, yeah. But he still has that motivation, that desire, you know,
1: oh, he loves 20, it.
4: 20 years later, he absolutely loves it. Yeah. Um, so, so interested even just to have a chat about the game. If I have any questions, I'll ask him and I still, I still get a couple of lessons off him a week as well. So um, he's, he's very much still up for the task. You know, he's, he's, he's brilliant. He's absolutely great for the club and, in the place would fall apart if 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 it didn't have someone like him there. So, yeah, no, he's he's been amazing.
0: Yeah, no, he's he really yeah legend. Shout yeah. out on. <laughs> um, so you know you touched on your your schedule there, like a five AM start training full day's work, back on the squash court for six six thirty give or take, and then that sort of st- starts again the following day. What's the goal?
4: Yeah, it's a it's it's a really good question. I. Uh, I ultimately want to be as successful as possible in my professional world, but I think squash is something that's just so important to me that even if I try to, you know, take a back seat here and try focus on solely on my career, I wouldn't be able to do it. I just wouldn't be happy. So, yeah, um, I I really want to be as as good as I can possibly be in that regard, while not being a full time professional. If that makes sense, yeah. Um, I've just I just joined the PSA this year. Uh, hey, unfortunately, there we a, go, bro. yeah. So not a not a great year to join. I haven't actually been able to make my debut at any at any tournaments. But um, I was due to go over to Scotland for my first one in March, which unfortunately got cancelled. But oh, got it. yeah. So the goal is to to play a, a couple of more of them next year, and, and really just see how it goes. You know, I'm I'm not going in there with with much pressure compared to some of the other guys, which I think can be quite an advantage, as I think Stevie's touched on before when he, you know, represents Ireland. No mm-hmm. one's expecting, you know, a big, big old man to, to beat them. So I, <laughs> I kind of have that, that try to have that sort of underdog mentality and just, just sort of see where it takes me. Um, yeah. I absolutely love training as well. So I it's not like a chore for me to, to go and, you know, do two sessions a day. It's something I love, so. Yes. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's just try to see how, see how, see how good I can be. And uh, yeah, and I'll be, I'll be happy with wherever I get to really.
0: Great. Uh, it's a great mindset, great approach. And I've, I've seen you train firsthand. Also been lucky enough to play, uh to play for Ireland with you. Yeah. You've got a lot going for you, big man. So uh, we wish you, but, uh, we look forward to seeing your results on the tour.
4: <laughs> it might be a while, yeah. But uh, yeah, hopefully one or two start popping up soon.
0: Yeah. 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 Big time. Well, Oisin. It's been great to have you on. Uh, thanks a million for taking the time. Great to hear the insight on GW squash programme, what it meant to you and obviously, I mean, you've come out of that programme. You, you're now an international athlete, having represented your country, at senior level at both the Europeans and the World Championships, the biggest stage that there is for squash. Hopefully, you know, maybe someone in GW might hear about this and, and some of the other players and the experiences and how important it was. It's, it's amazing and we obviously wish you all the best. Looking forward to seeing you on the, on the PSA tour and Hopefully, the old man out behind the mic will uh, be able to, you know, down out the green again with you one more time before uh, all those uh, one young more fellas. time,
4: a few more times. I'd um, love to, man. Oh, I mean, I'm keeping <laughs> in shape,
0: literally, because I just love the idea of that, like, Europeans, a couple of Europeans in a world. Uh, but we'll yeah, see.
4: no, 100%. No, I, I, I know you have a few more years, than
0: uh, well, um, yeah. you? Well, you never no, know. I,
4: I, I just want to say, yeah, thanks very much for having me on. And, you know, it's it's great given this platform to be able to just talk about my experience with GW and and how much it's meant to me how much it's meant to I'm sort of speaking on behalf of you know all the alumni because I know how much that program is meant to to so many people that I was there with and then you know people years before that and even years after so it's uh, yeah it's a it's a really difficult decision um one that you know will hopefully in the coming years be considered but yeah part goes out to the to the current players and the incoming recruits for for the time being
0: yeah fair play yeah good man all right Lush. Cool. well uh, yeah deadly man happy days cheers arthur okay nice one uh we'll wrap it up there thank you Stuart. thank you chris and again a massive congrats and best of luck for the big day big man happy days thanks again to our guests jenny duncalf and Ushin logan of gw squash that's episode thirteen in the bag. If you like what you hear, share it with your pals and uh, check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Nice one. We done.